Thank you, Rachel. That'll help us get ready for our missions conference. And uh, that's real similar, Alyssa, to the song that, uh, that she sang recently here. And, and uh, what a blessing, the theme of that song, just being available. And as we come to the missions conference, uh, that's really, really our, ought to be our heart, that we're available uh, to do whatever God wants us to do and to go wherever God wants us to go. And I do believe that every Christian ought to struggle with that thought of availability, just being willing uh, to be God's uh, vessel to the uttermost parts of the, of the world. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you'll stand with me this evening, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. So I want you to join me and let's read this uh, passage of Scripture together. Matthew chapter 5, and uh, beginning at verse number 1, we'll read through verse number 16. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And with that, let's go to the Lord this, this evening in prayer. Would you pray that God would have his way and Let's just take some time to yield our hearts to the Lord, that the Lord's uh, word would um, have free reign and we would be obedient to what he speaks unto us here tonight. Father, we thank you tonight. I thank you for this precious portion of scripture that you've given unto us. And Lord, as we read it, we recognize in our flesh how far short we fall of, of this ideal that you give unto us. And and we recognize that it's not something that we can do uh, of our own flesh. It's something that you must produce within us. And Lord, I pray here tonight that uh, there might be yielded hearts, and even as the song, Here Am I, Lord. And Lord, we, we, I know you've called us to be salt and light, and you've called us to be sent forth out to a lost and dying world. And I pray that we would be available vessels here for you uh, to use in any capacity that you would want. We pray in, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated this evening. We've, uh, we've spent a lot of time now just uh, going through the Beatitudes. I don't know how many weeks uh, we've been uh, dealing with the Beatitudes, these attitudes of, uh, of a true Christian. Uh, as we've seen over and over, I, I believe these are attitudes that are impossible for us to produce in our own flesh. It takes a miracle, uh, really, to have the heart of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was perfect in every one of these Beatitudes. Uh, for us to live this Beatitudes, the Lord has to work this miracle. Uh, it's contrary to human sin nature. It's the opposite of what a sinful world uh, teaches us. Uh, for example, blessed are they that mourn. 
Uh, that's, that's not what the world teaches. Uh, but yet the Lord is, is looking for us to, to grieve over sin, to grieve over the lostness uh, of, a, of a lost world. And, and uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, the world teaches us that uh, we should exalt ourselves and that we have to be proud, that we have to be boastful and confident. But the Bible says we've got to become as a beggar uh, before God and, and just die to self and humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. Uh, these are attitudes that are born out of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they're attitudes that are produced by the Spirit of God within the heart. They're attitudes that proceed from the heart and then they're lived out of the life. Uh, they're attitudes of God's blessing. Uh, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. And so these are attitudes of God's blessing and each attitude comes with a promised blessing from God. Now we move from the attitudes and immediately following these attitudes, a message concerning salt and light. When these attitudes are portrayed out of your life, literally God will make you to be salt and light to a needy world. We'll be salt to a world decayed by sin. And will be light to a world lost in darkness. Now, I want to just break this down tonight. And, and uh, we don't often think of, of salt and light. Uh, we take them for, for granted. But I have here a little bottle of salt. And you all recognize the shape of the salt. And my wife doesn't know it, but I stole it from our cupboard tonight uh, here. And uh, I have here a, a little flashlight, and you can't see it in here because it's pretty light, but I won't point it at your face. But uh, we take these things for granted, the salt and the light uh, here. Now I want to, to just look at this uh, again. Look at verse number 13, and I, and I want to point out, as we look at salt and light tonight, uh, first of all, it implies a relationship. Now, notice just the statement, ye are the salt of the earth. In verse number 14, ye are the light of the world. Now ye speaking to his disciples and an application to really every saved person, you can find that to apply to you tonight. If you're saved, the Bible says of you, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Uh, you are. It, it's present tense. It's by virtue of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the moment you received the Lord Jesus Christ, you entered into that position as salt, as light. Uh, when you're born again, the Lord Jesus enters into the heart. Uh, the Lord is the salt of the earth. He's the one that, that makes us to be salt to the lost world. Uh, he is the light of the world, and He's the one that shines His light through you. Uh, just as you have no life of yourself, you have no light of yourself. Your light comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we speak about being salt and light, it's implying uh, for each of us a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It takes a miracle. It takes the miracle of a new birth. Uh, the miracle of God's Spirit within us. 
to make us salt, to make us light, just as the Beatitudes are not natural, they're produced by God's Spirit, we're not naturally salt, and we're not naturally light. Our salt comes from Him within us. Our light comes from Him within us. The Bible says, as Paul the Apostle expressed, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so this relationship is resulting in you being salt and light. Now, just as a branch cannot bear fruit or produce fruit of itself, a branch cannot separate from the vine and produce fruit, just as that is the case, you cannot of yourself produce this salt and produce this light. You can't make yourself to be that. Now, all of the religion of the world is not going to mold you into being the salt that the Lord's speaking of. And all the religion of the world is not going to make you a light sitting on a hill. Uh, your flesh can never do it. Your flesh will fall short. Our, our human heart is decayed. Our human heart is sinful. It's the salt of Jesus that uh, takes over that decay and preserves it. And uh, our human heart is dark by nature. Our human heart, apart from Christ, is, is in darkness. We're lost. And uh, the Bible tells us we're dead in trespasses and sins. And uh, there's no hope within us. There's no spiritual life. There's no spiritual light within uh, the heart of a lost individual. And so we need something from outside to come into us and to enter us and to forgive our sin, and to give us life, and to mold that light from within us. Now that's what Jesus does through the new birth. So when he speaks those words to you tonight, if you're saved, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, he's speaking to those that have been born again. Those that have come into that personal relationship with Jesus. And so it, first of all, implies a relationship. Now, secondly, salt and light implies richness, value. Now, we take salt for granted. I, I don't know what this costs anymore. You used to buy it for just a few cents. It's probably over a dollar now. What, what does one of these cost? 89 cents. Morton iodized sea salt. And so, 89 cents... It's pretty, for us, a very small price. Uh, we take for granted light. Uh, but if we understand the world in which Jesus spoke these principles to, in Christ's day, salt and light were valuable. Now, salt, uh, we take it for granted, but it was valuable. Uh, you ever heard the term salt money? Okay, salt money, our word salary, comes from that term, salt money. In those days, often a workman was paid salt. That was the wages. He would receive an amount of salt. It, it was valuable. You ever hear the term, he isn't worth his salt? Do you hear that term? That's where it comes from. It's implied that he's working, that he's laboring, he's receiving salt for that labor, but he's not worth his salt, he's not worth his salary, he's not worth that payment. And so to understand this term that Jesus uses, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, it speaks of richness, it speaks of value, light. 
Now we come into the auditorium, we, we flip a switch, light comes on. I, I take my flashlight and I push a little button and light comes on. We take that for granted. Uh, before electricity, can you imagine light? How valuable it would be? Uh, we carry, they would carry a torch, and you don't carry a torch today for light. Uh, you take a flashlight, uh, you flip a light switch. Sometimes we flip the light switch and we get more light than we ever, ever wanted. Uh, much more different in the days of Christ. So when Christ stated, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, he's expressing the value of a Christian. Uh, if you're saved tonight, you are of great value to Christ. He purchased you with his blood. And you are of great value to this world. Have you ever thought how much this world owes to Christians today? In, in a decaying world, Christians are salt. And in a dark world, Christians are light. I don't know if you've ever thought this through, but the very presence of Christians in our world today holds back the judgment of God. We think about Lot in the Old Testament. Now, Lot was not the best example of a Christian, but we know Lot was a saved man. We know that Lot is in heaven today. Uh, Peter expressed that. Yet Lot was a backslidden Christian. He was a compromised Christian. He was a Christian that lost his testimony. He was a worldly Christian. Uh, but God withheld judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah because Lot was present. And God did not judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah until he removed Lot from that city. And then you notice that Lot went to the city of Zoar, and Zoar was preserved because Lot was present. Now, we would not put Lot on the pedestal as one of the greatest Christians of all time. In fact, we would look at Lot, and we might even express, was he even saved? And yet the Lord told us that he was saved. He was saved, I think, as first Corinthians chapter 3 would express, uh, so as by fire. He was saved by the skin of his teeth, we might say. He was saved, he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but was not walking with the Lord. Yet uh, Lot was salt and light despite himself, and God withheld the judgment from Sodom and Gomorrah because of Lot. Now I want you to think about this. The world is headed for God's judgment. But he realized before the horrible days of the tribulation, God must remove his children, the rapture. Before the wrath of God is poured out upon this lost world that has rejected Jesus Christ, uh, the trumpet is going to sound. And the dead in Christ will rise. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, our, our world's going through 2020 saw more changes in our world than any of us have ever seen in our lifetime. Uh, we saw the beginning, I called it the beginning of sorrows. And we began to see in 2020, uh, really some of the beginning and, and I, I believe preparatory stages for a coming tribulation. Uh, and, and yet the full wrath of God will not come upon this world uh, as it did not come upon Sodom and Gomorrah until God removes his children. After the rapture, we'll enter into Revelation chapters 6 through 18. And as you study the days of the tribulation, you're going to read a pestilence and disease. COVID-19 was just a small prelude to what's going to happen in the tribulation. 
Uh, Miss Jody, you mentioned just this afternoon how uh, in, in just the hand of God, uh, all God would have to do is speak or all God would have to do is release his hand and this world could break out into a disease that uh, would literally wipe multitudes off of the face of this earth. Uh, famine, the Bible speaks of Revelation chapter 6 through 18. Uh, a great famine where much of the world will die of starvation. Natural disasters, earthquakes, and uh, there will be, I think, tornadoes, and there will be tsunamis, and all sorts of things taking place in the tribulation. Uh, war culminating in the battle of Armageddon. You see, when the Spirit of God is, is removed, uh, so, so to speak, and Christians are taken up into heaven, into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the wrath of God will pour out upon this world, and this world will be devastated by these events. And uh, there will be a, a, just a total devastation upon the world and as God, and, and it won't happen until God removes the salt and the light. Now, I believe this passage, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, it implies your value, the richness. Your very presence in this world is a protective hedge about this world. And you're of great value to the Lord. It implies a relationship. It implies richness. But it implies to you tonight a responsibility. Those that are saved have tremendous responsibility. Salt. You're the salt of the earth. Now salt is a preservative. Did any of you ever have salt pork? I grew up on a pig farm. And back in the old days, we would butcher a pig. And uh, we had um, salt. We would cure the meat in salt, and it was salt pork. And I have to tell you, it was not one of my favorites. It tasted salty for some reason. <laughs> uh, but it would preserve it. You could have this meat, and we, would have a, we had a special barn that uh, we would take this meat, and we would uh, have the salt around it, all around it, and we would cure that meat in, in the salt. And uh, you, could, you could have all kinds of things happen. And that meat, it wasn't going to rot. It wasn't going to decay. It was preserved. And, and it kind of tasted that way when you ate it. But uh, salt pork, before refrigeration, meat was cured, preserved by salt. It kept the meat from rotting. Now, Christians have a responsibility to uphold God's standards, to uphold God's law. You notice this. Our world is quickly decaying, isn't it? It's rotting in sin. We're living in a day when the value of life is diminished. I live in a day where there is abortion on demand. Even killing, I can't imagine this, but this is legal in many states. Uh, to kill a baby, an aborted baby that's born alive. That baby born alive, the attempted abortion... Uh, to take that baby, to murder that baby. That's legal. I can't even comprehend that. Uh, euthanasia, they call it mercy killing. Uh, I believe it's the Lord that gives life and it's the Lord that takes life. And yet we're living in a day where man wants to be God, where man wants to determine who lives and who doesn't live. Uh, life is of the Lord. And so our world is decaying. Uh, God's moral absolutes today 
are, are being questioned. I read a couple of months ago, there are now supposedly 57 different genders. Can you imagine that? 57 different genders. Now, my Bible tells me male and female. There are only two genders. But there's a confusing world today, and, and I can't even comprehend this now, but uh, there are men that think they are women, and now they're allowed to participate in women's sports, and a lot of the women's records are being shattered, and it's only common sense. God made men different than he made women. But there's a great confusion today. There's sexual promiscuity today, and it's looked at upon normal, or as normal today. And even in churches and in Christian circles today, uh, uh, even in, in, in Christian realms today, uh, it, it's thought that you live together before you get married. But the Bible still says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And see, God still has a standard. He has a moral value. And in the Word of God, God still expects of His children honesty and integrity and in character. Uh, these principles are shunned in our world today, but God still honors those who will uphold and follow His principles. I think about the Daniels of the Word of God. Uh, Daniel, salt and light. We read this morning, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. I love the life of Daniel, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, Daniel was sweet in spirit, but Daniel was strong in doctrine. Uh, Daniel was sweet. He was one of these guys, an excellent spirit was found in him, and he's the kind of guy that uh, you would like and enjoy to be around. But Daniel would not compromise his convictions. I think the Lord for the Josephs of the world, the Josephs, salt and light. Uh, here's Joseph. There's, there's no moral blemish upon his life. More, uh, Joseph, a man of God. And, and you read a, of the life of Joseph, though betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, and then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He never got bitter. He was salt and light, and he rose like cream to the top of the barrel and uh, was greatly used of God. And I believe preserved the land of Egypt, preserved God's people, because here's a man that was right and upheld the principles of God's word. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, right is always right, and wrong is always wrong. You do right till the stars fall from the skies. See, God is unchanging. His word is unchanging. Right doesn't change. The customs of society, they change. But the Word of God does not change. Wrong doesn't change. What was wrong in the Bible is wrong today. What was right in the Bible is right today. And we're living in a day where right is wrong and wrong is right. And it gets confusing today. But God's children have the responsibility to be a preservative to society. What's right according to God's Word doesn't change. So we're a preservative. Upholding God's principles in a society that is decaying. So salt is a preservative. Salt is a flavoring. How many of you like a little salt on your food? How many of you like a lot of salt on your food? We add salt to flavor our food. I think there's a principle. We have a responsibility. Godly Christians show that life is precious. Life with God's blessings is precious. Uh, Proverbs, I think it's 10.22, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow to it. 
See, there's a blessing that comes from just being obedient to God that life is precious. It's good to be alive. It's good to live. It's good to enjoy life. Christians ought to enjoy life. We ought to enjoy living. Ought to be a little flavoring that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the presence of Christians ought to make the world a better place. Your home ought to be sweeter because you're a part of your home. Your workplace ought to be a better environment because of your presence. Your church ought to be a greater place because you're there. God put you here. I believe communities with high volumes of Christians ought to be safer. They ought to be purer. They ought to be better because Christians add flavor. That's assault. That's our responsibility. Now, third aspect about salt. Salt causes thirst. A thirsting. Back in high school, football practice, we used to take salt pills. I don't think you're supposed to do that now, but we did. And uh, they told us they would have us to take salt pills because we would be sweating under those football uniforms and they wanted us to drink a lot of water. It made us thirsty. So we would take the salt pills and then go to the water tank and drink the water. And a Christian has the responsibility to live Christ in such a way that others want what you have. Has anybody ever been drawn to Christ because you lived Him? Anybody ever say to you, I want what you have. I need what you have. I long to have the kind of home that you have. I'd like to have the kind of church that you have. I'd like to have the kind of spirit that you have. Anybody ever say that to you? That's flavoring. Daniel was such a one. We mentioned an excellent spirit was found in him. Say, I, I like, he was strong in doctrine. He, he would not compromise, but he was, he was sweet. I think Daniel had such a walk with the Lord that others were attracted to the Lord of Daniel. I believe Nebuchadnezzar, we read about him this morning in Daniel chapter 3. If you were to go into Daniel chapter 4, I believe Nebuchadnezzar got saved because of Daniel's testimony. I think there's ample evidence in Daniel chapter 4 of a conversion of Nebuchadnezzar coming to Jesus. Here's a heathen king. Here's a king. He's, he's wicked. Here's a king. He's a narcissist. And yet because of the presence of Daniel, because of the presence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar began to long for the God of Daniel. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's flavoring. I think Darius in Daniel chapter 6 came to know Jesus Christ, came to know the Daniel or the God of Daniel. Daniel was a flavoring. Darius saw in Daniel something that he needed. And he was attracted to that and he longed for that. I believe Cyrus was influenced by Daniel. These are great kings. These are great leaders. But because of the presence of Jesus, because Daniel was salt. Uh, there was a desire, there was a thirsting for God that came from Daniel's life. That's what happened with Stephen. We mentioned him this morning. Saul was present when Stephen was stoned. I believe uh, Saul saw in Stephen something that he did not have. I don't think Saul ever got over it. I think there was that hungering, that thirsting for what uh, Stephen had in the life of Saul, and that was not satisfied until the road to Damascus when Saul was gloriously converted. 
See, when the world sees real Christianity, I'm not talking uh, just this fake stuff that goes around today. I'm saying when the world sees a real Christian, somebody that really walks with Jesus, talks with Jesus, somebody that uh, their heart is aflame, set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire for the lost in sin. Set my soul afire for the Word of God. Set my soul afire to live for Jesus Christ. When the world sees that, the world sees in the life of a Christian something that they need in their life. It'll cause them to long for what you have. That's a responsibility. Salt. Light. You're the light of the world. As light, you have a responsibility to shine in darkness. The world's dark. A Christian is light. And light is valuable in the midst of darkness. Anybody here, you really enjoy being in the dark all the time? You appreciate light, don't you? Light expels the darkness. They're mutually exclusive. You can't have a light room and it'd be dark at the same time. It just doesn't work together. Wherever Jesus was, darkness was expelled. You read through the Gospels. When Jesus showed up, evil fled. Or evil came to the Lord and bowed to Jesus Christ. Uh, much sin happens under the cover of night. In the darkness. In the night. Light reveals sin. When light enters, the room is revealed. Now maybe you like darkness because you've got a dirty room and so it just is a lot easier to keep the light off and then you don't see what is laying around the room. Light reveals, it exposes some things. The room revealed things hidden by darkness. They're manifest in the light. And, and this is what happens when a Christian comes around. You see, it exposes things. It exposes sin. And that's why some hated Jesus. You see, His presence, His righteousness exposed them. It brought conviction to their heart. Some were not comfortable in the presence of Jesus Christ. He was such a light. He said in John 15, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for this sin. They have no excuse. They were exposed to Jesus Christ. Their sin was revealed. And that sin being revealed, it had to be dealt with. That's what light does. And sometimes men and women, boys and girls, want to live in the dark. But the presence of a Christian ought to expose the things of their life. And in exposing that, bring them to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading this years ago the story of a preacher who was walking with God. He was a real Christian. Uh, he entered to a barber shop. Uh, nobody in the barber shop knew who the preacher was except for the barber himself. And the men in the shop, just the very presence of this man, they didn't even know who he was, but the very presence of this man made them uncomfortable. The reason being, there were several of them that were looking at dirty magazines. There were some that were telling dirty jokes. And this man entered. They did not know who he was. He did not say anything. The only person that knew him was the, shop, or the, the barber shop owner. And yet these men, uncomfortable. And then as this preacher left the shop, they commented, who was that man? There was something about his presence. I was reading this dirty magazine, and when he entered, I, I wasn't comfortable. Who was that guy? And the shop owner, a barber shop owner, told that he was a preacher. And somebody commented, that was a real man of God. 
See, that's light. That exposes sin. That's what we ought to be. See, the problem is we sometimes are so compromised that there's no difference between us and the world. I'm not saying that we ought to be mean. Daniel wasn't. He was an excellent spirit, but he was salt. He was light. He fulfilled his responsibility. We have a responsibility to shine in darkness. Verse 16, let your light, that's Jesus within you, let your light, it's not your light, but it's Jesus in you, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, light points the way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Light points the way. I, I love to take my flashlight out in the dark. I don't like to walk in the dark without a flashlight. And so when I go out into the dark, I take the flashlight. It points the way. It shows the direction. And your life ought to point the way to Jesus Christ. It ought to point others to the Lord. Uh, you look at this statement. It's not for your glory, but they might glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's for His glory. And so salt and light implies a responsibility. Now one more thought tonight. Salt and light implies a reckoning. In, in this passage, God holds us accountable for how we perform as salt and light. Look at verse 13. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but... If the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden underfoot of men. Now, modern salt doesn't lose its flavor. This salt here, it, it's been so processed, uh, it's been refined, it's not going to lose its flavor. But the salt of Jesus' day was not so processed, not so refined, it would lose its flavor in the wrong situation, the wrong setting. I was reading about a, a man that rented some houses with dirt floors. He purchased some salt, got it at a good price. He placed that salt in the homes on the dirt floors, and he didn't realize that the dirt would sap the flavoring from his salt. So he came back a, a few weeks later to discover that his salt had no flavor. And it was said of this man that he took that salt, he cast it into the streets, and it was trodden underfoot of men. When a child of God doesn't live holy for Christ, he's like that salt. He's lost his savor. He's not lost his salvation, but he loses his value. He loses his influence. I think of a, of a deacon that I once knew, and he was a part of a church that I, that I went to, and I was out doing some work on the farm. And I had to deliver, I believe it was some grain, to another farmer just uh, several miles away. And I took that grain and I discovered that the deacon worked for that particular man. And so I invited this man. I said, yes, he goes to my church. And this man responded, of the deacon, he says every other word that he speaks is a curse word. You want me to go to that church? Boy, it broke my heart. There was a man that lost his influence, lost his savor, lost his power, not his salvation, 
but lost his ability to draw people to Jesus Christ. Again, it's impossible. Lot never lost his salvation. Lot lost his influence. When Lot went to his own uh, daughter, sons-in-laws, they mocked him. Lot had lost his savor. He'd lost his saltiness. Lot could not even get his own family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the lack of influence. God holds us accountable. There's a reckoning. In verse number 14, he says, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Light is meant to shine. It's not to be hidden. Okay, You don't light a candle and hide it under a bushel, he goes to express. Uh, he says, you put it out in the open. I think it's very interesting. In verse number 19, uh, 15, neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And we may deal with this more later. Interesting, in Revelation chapter 1, the candlestick represents the local church. And I believe it's very crucial if your light is going to shine, you must be a part of a local church. The local church is valuable and it's necessary. And without a local church, it's like putting your light under a bushel. Your light can never shine to the extent that God wants it to shine. Every born-again child of God needs a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. You need to shine your light in and through that church. It's, a, it's an important thing. We'll, we'll do more with that in the future. Uh, it, it's it's uh, very crucial to shine the light. Our relationship with Christ is made to shine forth. Our relationship with Christ is made to reveal Jesus to the world. Your relationship with Christ is not to be hidden. It's not something that you should be ashamed of. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. On the road to Damascus, I was lost. I was on the road to hell. I was empty. I was missing something. And the Lord met me. He changed my life. I'll never be the same again. I'm not ashamed of that gospel that changed me, that saved me. He said, I want to tell everybody that I come into contact, I'm a debtor both to the Jew and to the Greek. He said, I'm a debtor to the gospel. I'm a debtor to the Lord that bought me. And so that light is made not to be hidden, not something that we're ashamed of, but it's a light that's meant to be proclaimed to a lost world. There's a reckoning. Every one of us will one day stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. Every one of us will give an account as to how we have ministered as salt, as light. Implies a relationship. It's not something that you make of yourself. It's something Jesus does through you. It implies richness, value. You're valuable to Christ and valuable to the world. And it implies a responsibility that you have, but it implies a reckoning, a day that you'll give an account for how you lived for the Lord. I'd like us with heads bowed, eyes closed.